0: I don't want to take you out here. Let me lower you into the yard and let you do your business. (laughs) And like you live on like the 30th floor and you're like, (laughs) 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 and like the dog's getting like, like chewed at by like birds and stuff like that. (laughs) Hey there, I'm Jordan. And I'm Nick. We're just two regular guys who love talking about film. And now we'd like to talk to you. We decided to break down our discussions into three parts. Because everyone loves a gimmick. We discuss our expectations for a film before we watch it. That's take one. We give our immediate thoughts following the film. That's take two. And finally, we research the film at length to prepare for an informed and in-depth discussion. And that's take three. So if you love film even half as much as we do, join in on the conversation. This is take three, a movie podcast. Take one. So when you first texted this movie to me, you did a typo and you said, read window. And I was like, what the hell? I've never even heard of that movie, but I'm all for it. Like, if you think it's a good movie, let's do it. I know nothing about it, but let's do it. And then I realized that you said that you meant to say rear window, the Alfred Hitchcock movie. And I guess that doesn't really matter because I know nothing about that movie either. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a good intro. <laughs> um, I have seen one Alfred Hitchcock movie. Again, as you all know, chronically uncultured here. If you told me Rear Window, I could tell you, oh, that's a movie. I could not tell you anything about what it's about. So
1: What I also told you in that text message is that I could tell you a movie because it's been remade in a sense and it has uh, a different name and i could tell you that movie and you would instantly know what it's about i still don't want to know uh in take two i do want you to tell me what movie it is but basically it's not my favorite hitchcock movie my favorite hitchcock movie is uh, north by northwest but it's definitely one of the top it's it's such like an interesting premise i really i can't explain it to you but the idea of it is so good and i remember Seeing the remake before I ever saw Rear Window, because I didn't see this till college. So when I, when I saw the remake, probably as a teenager, I was just like, whoa, what a cool premise. I don't remember how well the remake really holds up, but I know that this movie is very good. Are you positive that I've seen the remake of this movie? I'd be shocked if you hadn't. Well, <laughs> and you all that are listening, I really hope that you guys know what I'm talking about, too. But this movie was remade. I I don't know. I don't know what to talk to you about. I am not as uh, gleefully excited about being able to show you a movie you haven't seen. But this is step two of us going in blind. And I guess the next step would be seeing a movie we've never seen before. So
0: this is good. You mean neither of us have ever seen before? Yeah.
1: Like I hadn't seen
0: The Matrix. Right. and you haven't seen her window, and I guess the next step is... But, like, well, yeah, okay. I just think that the last episode was interesting because I feel like you've seen so many more movies than I have. To find a movie that I've seen and you haven't is incredibly rare. Yeah. But I feel like more, the episodes like this, like today, are probably going to be much more common <laughs> on this podcast. So we'll see. I mean, we'll see. I'm excited to, to get into this. I'm excited to kind of go blind and... Look into this window that's in the back yeah. of something.
1: <laughs> I know that this movie is ending. I remember it being a little cartoony. We'll see. We'll see if it holds up. I just remember
0: being like, wait, what's happening? But um, did this come? Do you know if this came out before or after Psycho? This was before Psycho. Psycho came out in
1: 1960. And oh, so this is in black and white too. No. Oh my gosh. Okay. So... Psycho is not black and white because movies in that came out in nineteen sixty were black and white. Psycho is black and white as a as a choice.
0: Oh. I guess I didn't realize the the year. Yeah, as soon as you said sixties, I was like, wait a second, that's not that doesn't sound right. But yeah. So Re- is rear, Wind- rear
1: windows in color? Rear window and north by northwest both came out before Psycho and Interesting. They are both in color. He has a lot of movies in color, um, but psycho is in black and white i think to probably get away with some of the stuff he does i feel like maybe i've heard that uh or maybe it was a stylistic choice just because of it's a dark because of the fact that it's like a dark story Mm -hmm. um but yeah regardless this movie uh, came out in 1954 and i'm not even gonna tell you who's in it i'm just really excited (laughs) to watch it because i haven't seen it in a very long time,
0: and I'm awesome. really, really liking it. And it's non okay. Vertigo, which is a garbage piece of film. Yeah, I hear you I, talk about Vertigo a lot, but I'm I'm interested to to learn more about Alfred Hitchcock because he seems like a cool guy. I think he's celebrated for sure. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So is Kubrick he's, anyway. anyway. celebrated. Shut end. <laughs> no,
1: Hitchcock is better than Stanley Kubrick, <laughs> and um, I'd imagine that. What I just said about Vertigo is going to piss people off because I think I'm on a hill by myself when people don't like Vertigo.
0: Well, maybe we can do that for the podcast one day and we'll see if you're wrong or not. I'm right. All right, <laughs> let's uh, watch Rear Window. Take two. That was delightful. I'm so glad you liked it. That was so delightful it probably could have been an hour shorter <laughs> i think cinema has evolved quite a bit since then but they it's gotten a lot less patient for yes sure. and i mean understandably so um our attention spans have vastly devolved but um that, w- that was cute that was it was like it was like a thriller but at the same time like kind of funny i do uh Lisa, that was her name, right? Which one? The Lisa's uh, Grace the, Kelly. The, right, right. She, I think in the end when she's like doing her whole heist thing, it just, she's, she, the whole time she just had like a positive attitude about the whole, I don't know. I just loved it. What I, I just, I, what I think is so great about
1: the dynamic between them is that like they start, you know, sort of at odds, obviously. And they're, yeah. he's about to say like, hey, we, we can't do this. If you want to move forward, I can't. And they are pulled together by a mutual distraction, you know? Yeah. And through the whole thing, I don't know if it's something in her head where it's like, oh, I'm going to prove to him that I am capable of this, or if it's just that she is capable of this. But she goes out on a limb. She, you know, she proves to be a lot more adventurous than he gives her credit for. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. You know, and... Um, Super smart to grab the wedding ring into mm-hmm. – I just it, – it's it's such a, a fun, interesting movie. Even I, – I will say that I don't
0: want an hour cut out of it. I love every moment of this. <laughs> I, there were points that I was like, OK, something's got to happen. Or like I was so distracted by his people watching and seeing – like, do I need to pay attention to these people yeah. in the windows? Like, are they going to, you know. But by the end of it, you really do benefit from having paid attention to all of
1: them. Because you see the woman who's struggling with being alone, you know, yeah. to the point where someone needs to call the police on her. Having her be distracted by the music and drawn to the guy who's basically a, a musician, a struggling musician. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. The, the little the woman who's like overwhelmed by all these guys all over her being winding up being with with a guy who's you know not your typical
0: with a short little guy, guy with glasses. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's a complete story. like each of those little vignettes were really interesting on their own, I think.
0: No, I think you're definitely right. Um, I think it just it did drag a little bit. I don't think there was an ounce of music. I mean, there was, there was the obvious music with the guy and the piano and the parties and stuff, but I don't think there was any kind of film score to this, which made it interesting. And I think when when the shots moved from window to window, there really wasn't much in the background. I, I think it just... it. It did drag. I remember looking at the time thinking like an hour went by and only like 10 minutes did. And I was like, oh my God, like we're still doing this. But I mean, in the end it was worth it. I think it was definitely worth it for the last maybe 45 minutes of the movie. It was yeah, it was very charming, very cute. I think yeah. I remember the first time I'm seeing it and being like, well, I was sitting in a
1: classroom. But I was like, wow, this is really kind of, you know, it's it's hard to zero in when there are a bunch of people around you. Which is like yeah. sitting here. But I was like, wow, okay, this is not moving as quickly but knowing now like the ending and, and how things sort of end up and knowing that he really did um, <laughs> commit this murder wait okay so if you guys didn't realize
0: what what movie were oh so okay so like he said i haven't seen this movie in a while either and but i remember what when i watched it i enjoyed it um it was disturbia with shia labeouf yes and who plays the bat? Who plays Thorwald in in that one? I know it's a well known actor. I don't remember his name though. So his name is David Morse. He doesn't play a character named Thorwald.
1: His name is like Mr. Turner,
0: something like that. David yeah. David
1: Morse is. He's
0: in The Green Mile, Hurt Locker, World War Z. I know I've seen him before. He was in World War Z. He was the yeah. guy that was pulling all his teeth out. I love that movie. We should do that movie for for this too. Oh, yeah, I I loved War Wars. That
1: was a zombie movie that I can actually really get behind because I'm not a big zombie movie fan. But that movie, I will say about this movie, one thing that is just puzzling to me, I don't understand why they did this. It seemed frantic enough, but... There are a couple of shots at the very end of the movie where people are, like, rushing to their windows that they're clearly sped up. And, like, I I can imagine even still 65
0: years ago, it still seemed like it was sped up. Did you notice that? Like, where the people are, like, rushing to the, like, really. I totally noticed it. I just figured it was some kind of old film trick that I just just didn't know anything about. Like, he shot it too, or he
1: shot it slow and just thought that they could. Yeah, I don't know speed it up it just didn't look natural to me but other than that like i i really do enjoy every bit of this this movie was very well regarded it it has a hundred
0: percent on rotten tomatoes yeah you mentioned that i think that was actually one of the deciding factors doing the next movie you you came to me and you're like oh this movie has a hundred percent on rotten tomatoes i said yeah let's do it that sounds i think this is one that a
1: lot of people enjoy and i think a lot of people will like to um, discuss with us. I know that, so Alfred Hitchcock never won a Best Director Oscar. He never won an Oscar for any sort of movie. He won a, it was like, kind of like a Lifetime Achievement Award that he mm-hmm. got. I think that's about it. But they they gave it to him as like a creative, but not for any particular movie. But this is the fourth movie that he got nominated for Best Director for. Oh, okay. And the fifth one is Psycho. I were gonna rate my favorite Hitchcock movies, it would go north by northwest, then Rear Window, then Psycho. And
0: those those are they're very close and they're very high up, but I noticed that Vertigo was not on that list. <laughs> so are those those can't be the only four that you've seen, though. No, I've seen lots his. and lots and lots of African okay. Hitchcock movies. But
1: Vertigo also has Jimmy Stewart in it, and it's just boring and like (laughs) it's it just seems self-important and i know that it's so celebrated i mean like this movie it is is extremely celebrated just from what i've witnessed uh, like in school and everything the ones that you get that get tossed around a lot are not even psycho it's rear window and vertigo really those are the ones that are like the more celebrated ones I don't know you'll we'll eventually have to watch vertigo i really never cease to be impressed with alfred hitchcock's work though i mean even in vertigo just (laughs) across the board this man was a legend and he's so good and he took chances and was provocative and like a lot of people see him as like
0: this stuffy old man he was not that (laughs) Uh, again i've had very little exposure with Hitchcock, this was a great start. I mean I loved I loved Psycho as well.
1: So this is one of the ones that's a little bit less philosophical or, <laughs> or you're reaching out into space for a deeper meaning to life or things like that. So I Thank think Thank God, that, my,
0: my brain's still sore from <laughs> from the last
1: episode. So this I think will be a bit refreshing. We can maybe focus on more character dynamics, different themes mm-hmm. uh, of of all the different stories that all sort of amalgamated into one overarching story that is Rear Window, the themes of like voyeurism and distraction and relationship dynamics and things like that. So I'm super duper and stalking duper excited.
0: Voyeurism
1: yes, is 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 a better term for stalking. <laughs> is a pretty word for <laughs> stalking. Yeah. Anyway. And I um, also I also do want to say that that
0: that dog contraption of lowering the dog to be able to go out. That was genius. That's going to be me as a dog owner and as the lazy bum that I am. It's like, (laughs) I don't want to take you out here. Let me lower you into the yard and let you do your business. And like you live on like the 30th floor and you're like,
1: (laughs) (laughs) and like the dog's getting like, like chewed at by like birds and stuff (laughs) like that.
0: that would be hysterical i don't condone animal
1: abuse but i mean if you can train a dog to run back to the basket after you um totally
0: how cool would that be that would be awesome yeah that'd be so cool okay we should we should do some research yes yes i have to brush up on all things hitchcock but i'm very excited to do that so we'll talk to you in like one second take three It was recently brought to my attention by one of our listeners that I pronounced a name incorrectly in our last episode, which I realize I do frequently. Uh, I'm not so good at the words, but I think I said, like, Jean Baudrillard, and I realized later that that's that's probably very incorrect, and I realize now it's uh, Jean Baudrillard, the French philosopher. I'm sure that we would, we were gonna get tons and tons of emails and everything. Well, we got at least one. So, (laughs) I know in the Interstellar episode, I said Lazarus like a million times too. And I'm just, again, I'm not so good at the words. It's just there are struggles sometimes. Oh yeah, and the one that you Stanley Kubrick. Kubrick. I feel like that's how I always hear it is Kubrick, not Kubrick. Kubrick. I don't know. Anyway. But that's, so we got to
1: come up with something for you to mispronounce in this episode.
0: No, <laughs> no, I want to. Life's Who a cares? journey. I want to. I want to learn. I want to be better. That's what this is about. Okay. So I'm sorry, and I will try to be better. And and don't hesitate to point something out to me if I if we pronounce something incorrectly. You just opened the floodgates. I did. No, let, I want to learn. This is what this podcast is about. So. Jesus Christ. Okay. <laughs>
1: so we talked about Disturbia being a pseudo remake of the film. Yes. But what I didn't know actually is that there was a made for TV remake released in 1998. with Called Rear Window? Yeah. With Daryl Hannah. And get this, Christopher Reeve, like the guy who used to play Superman, who at yeah. the point in his life was a full quadriplegic.
0: I mean, well, that makes sense. Like, but isn't that crazy? Like
1: they actually got like Christopher Reeve, like played that. And like after he had gotten in his accident and like, I actually am really interested. I want to see it. Apparently it's not very well, well received, but just, um.
0: But still, like, Seeing how about, somebody
1: in that situation would react.
0: You said he was a quadriplegic, like, he was quadriplegic, right? So he couldn't move his arms or his legs. Exactly. That was,
1: like, real life. Oh, wow. Christopher Reeve got thrown from a horse, and he became a quadriplegic in real life. And so he, I, I like the fact that he was able to play this role, but I can't even, like... Because you think in the 54 version, Jimmy Stewart, you know, fully has full function of pretty much everything, so except um, for one leg. Yeah. yeah, so he's, you know, able to go and get his camera and sort of wheel around and things like that, but so you're saying the role was adjusted for
0: Yeah, like he couldn't yeah. Move so anything.
1: apparently uh, from what I know about it is that they said it was sort of awkwardly modernized, awkwardly adapted. The reviewers that were talking about it said things like that the story beats didn't didn't work as well seems like maybe it's probably not that great of a movie, but I would think it would just be interesting. It's an interesting dynamic to have somebody who has really no, you know, function of movement.
0: Yeah. No, that's interesting. I, I should look up, I want to look up some clips of
1: that now. So we should watch Disturbia and the 1998 rear window at some point, just to see comparisons.
0: Yeah. I am not against
1: that. So speaking of that movie and Disturbia and this 1954 version, and pretty much the majority of the Hitchcock movies that I've at least seen, they all have a lot to do with voyeurism, and that seems to be the main theme of this film.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: I was thinking about it, and I'm like, wow, there are there are definitely aspects of that in a lot of his films, like Psycho with Norman Bates looking through the yeah. eye hole and watching Marion Crane. Mm -hmm. There's aspects of it in the movie Topaz and the lady vanishes So I have this quote from Hitchcock that even talks about this He says we're all voyeurs I bet you that 9 out of 10 people If they see a woman across the courtyard Undressing for bed Or even a man puttering around in his room Will stay and look No one turns away and says Oh it's none of my business They could pull down their blinds But they never do They stand there and look out So I think the idea that so much of his work has callbacks to voyeurism and very explicitly in this one, he's making a comment on society. But you think about it, I mean, like all film is voyeuristic to a degree because if we are suspending the disbelief that this is real and entering ourselves into this world, we're just watching things play out in front of us anyway. So it sort of taps into this voyeuristic nature that humans have. Only with the advent of like virtual reality and, and things like that will that go away to a degree because you'll be an active part of the film experience. But until that point happens, I think
0: pretty much all film is voyeuristic. I never really thought of it that way. Yeah. It's an interesting take. I saw a lot of discussion in my research about... How the apartments across the courtyard sort of represented mirrors and how they reflect Jeff and his relationship with Lisa, with Mrs. Torso, the the woman who, like the very beautiful, traditionally sexy woman that he sees like undressing and everything and having all the men over. The ballet dancer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He sees that seemingly imperfect matches and relationships can still be perfect towards the end when her husband comes home and he's this, you know, shorter, statured guy with glasses and he sees in Mrs. Lonely Heart, was that her name? Yeah, that living alone can have its consequences and with the piano man he sees that a relationship takes patience and hard work to be successful. And I kind of wanted to bring up this discussion because that kind of leaves out the the balcony sleepers and the honeymooners that he sees across the way. Yeah. Um, I'm not really sure how they fit in with that narrative. Like, I think the, the points that were brought up in the research that I found were valid, but they weren't sort of all encompassing. And I wanted to know if you had any thoughts on that. Well, so I think that there is definitely a statement to be made about this, this
1: newlywed couple that is really hot and heavy at first and super excited. And that's probably how Jeff and Lisa were at first. And then when reality sort of sets in, they realize, okay, you know, maybe things aren't as perfect. I mean, the last bit we get of this honeymooning couple, or you know, this this couple that's just moved into this apartment, is we wouldn't have gotten married if I didn't know you were going to quit your job or something like that. Where yeah, you know, yeah. like suddenly things are actually like we're struggling. You know, suddenly things mm-hmm. like we're we're having our first sort of like quarrel as a married couple. I think that is another facet of a relationship for sure. I, you know what? I don't know too too much about the. The people that sleep outside,
0: they really yeah. stick out to me too much. And I honestly, are those the same people with the dog? I think so, yeah. Because there was also the woman that lived, like, under them, that was on the ground floor. Yeah. Yeah, I think that there was there. There needs to be, like, in a situation like
1: this, certainly we're suspending some disbelief anyway that all of this stuff would go on out in the open and, you know, all that. But I think for me, it would have been maybe a little bit too much to have every single character have, like a story that mirrors directly to yeah. the protagonists of the story. Like you have to have, I think some characters are in there just to sort of flesh out other characters. But really the woman that is um, lounging in that chair, the really like the thing that sort of stands out to me is it's through her character that you first see Thorwald sort of being mean or sort of lashing out when she's like, Oh, you need to, to garden differently or you need to do something with your garden. And he's like, why don't you just shut up? Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and you would think that that's normal. You would think that he's normal, but it's actually, I think meant to sort of later on, obviously meant to set up that he has, you know, anger and yeah. Yeah. He's not know. the nicest. Yeah. He's, he's a murderer. <laughs> So what I gathered most from this story, I think, is the idea that someone's situation or the things that they are capable of are often really hard to, like, surmise at first glance. For lack of a less cliche phrase, like, this movie is not about not judging books by their covers. Like, not pigeonholing into a box based on your perception of someone. Okay. Because at first that's pretty much all we get from this film is someone's perception of each character. You know, we're watching Jeff watch these people. Like, for example, to bring up Miss Torso again, you see her at first and you may think she's this bombshell dancer that enjoys the company of men and has them all throwing themselves at her. But it's not to the very end when Jeff, who has essentially been our lens throughout this entire film, is sleeping – And we actually Mm -hmm. get to see for ourselves what's really going on, which is she has a loved one in the military who, again, by the way, isn't exactly the typical guy you'd think she would go for. Mm -hmm. And you start to view that exchange between her and those three men earlier a little bit differently because you think that maybe she's just courting a bunch of men and maybe one's getting too frisky. But you see that now she's maybe dealing with these aggressive men to advance her career or status. I mean, I know that Lisa, she makes a comment that basically um, says like, that's like one of the hardest things for, for a woman has to do is to juggle wolves. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And that's uh, a great line. So, oh my God, she has so many great lines. <laughs> I love her. Um, so it's not like she was uh, a bluesy that was like dating around and things like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's probably what you might, expect at the beginning so we're not only seeing that jeff probably had a misconception of her but we as an audience do too and then like miss lonely Hearts, who when we first see her sure we get a clear picture of her loneliness like having dinner for two all alone but we talked about this during the movie like no one in jeff's apartment really seems to worry or show any concern for her until they see her preparing her suicide and it's like laid out (laughs) in front of them that she's capable of doing something like that. Like you don't like at first it's just, Oh, it's the lonely spinster. Oh, it's, you know, that's her storyline. And, but for, I know that when I first saw it, I was like, Oh my God, she's going to kill herself. Like that never occurred to me, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's, that's another way that you can't, you can't
0: see someone. You can't make preconceived judgments. Yeah. Yeah. And it's indifferent it, it you know, it, it affects these
1: two characters very differently. Like, I mean, this woman it could have cost this woman her life.
0: Yeah. You know? Now, Devil's Advocate, you could say that Jeff's first impression of Thorwald was correct though. That's right? that's exactly
1: that is exactly the only one in the <laughs> complex Jeff ever really entertains the idea that there might be something going on more than meets the eye is thorwald the murderer
0: and it takes some awfully suspicious behavior to get him there honestly (laughs) that's yeah and i think one of the things i loved most about this movie is like not knowing i honestly don't remember i didn't remember the end of disturbia when i was watching this after i had realized what it was what disturbia was based off of and i i was kept i kept like like Asking myself the question, like, what if he's wrong? Like, I'm waiting for this twist. Like, maybe, maybe this guy is innocent. Maybe this is all just a huge misunderstanding. And I think that dynamic makes it like a really interesting scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Segway just for a moment, mm-hmm. because we
1: can talk about whatever we want to. <laughs> uh, how would you have felt if it was all a misunderstanding? How would you oh felt God. if Thorwall was
0: innocent? I got to say, I would have loved it. I love a twist ending. I love when something just completely screws with my head. And I think that would have been really cool. If they found if they found a way to make that like an interesting twist, I would have been all for it.
1: Yeah, because I mean, they do a good job of like making you think, oh, maybe it's not. You know, maybe his wife is safe and maybe he's just acting strangely for another reason and everything can be yeah. explained away. Mm-hmm. And my last sort of note on misjudging people is, ultimately, Jeff seems to take a pretty close-minded approach to understanding what Lisa is capable of, too. Which brings me to my next point, which is the main relationship, L.B. Jeffries and Lisa Fremont, Jimmy Stewart and Grace Kelly. <laughs> in the past, I have heard people discuss this relationship in a way that I never really got from the movie Basically, people talk about how mean he is to her and overall how grumpy Jeff is as a character. And like I knew they had arguments, but I guess I always just sort of took any remarks that he made as dry comedy that was of the time back then. I mean, I think in this movie, it is funny. Like I do laugh at a lot of the things that Jimmy Stewart says. Jimmy Stewart is that kind of actor who he's like – he was a movie star, so he was just being Jimmy Stewart. And he's mm. Jimmy Stewart and everything, you know what I mean? And he's sort of so that sort of dry wit, that sort of like the, the way he talks and all. I can't do it. I can't yeah. do good impressions, but just <laughs> like you know what I'm talking about, like when I see Jimmy Stewart, a very a very specific type of role comes forward in your head, mm-hmm. and I just figure you know that's just being him. And in this movie, it's funny.
0: I'm gonna interject and say that I really enjoyed his banter with Stella. I think Stella was was my favorite comedic element in this movie
1: yeah i'm not gonna comment on him as a person back then but i don't know too too much about it to talk about um, and it's not really surrounding this movie it's not like when we were talking about kubrick specifically being problematic on the set of the shining but jimmy stewart is apparently not the greatest guy when you go back and and look about oh, certain no. beliefs and things like that that he held against you know, people that are different than, um, oh, geez. yeah, it's. Um, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, and it's like very like races and religions and all this stuff. But like, and and I'm not condoning any of it. But that's really not what I'm here to talk about. But going back here and looking at these key scenes, he is pretty condescending to her. Like he doesn't really even seem to want to entertain the idea that she's capable of living at the same like speed as he does. Mm-hmm. And sure, she doesn't react to it well. I know that we had a conversation during the film where <laughs> yeah. she was she was reacting negatively as well. But like, who would react positively? The man that you're trying to marry is saying you're too perfect, and like your status in life should be held against you. I don't I don't agree with that at all. I think that that's he was just looking for an out, in my opinion. But I think you could ultimately view their relationship arc in the film. In two ways. So it's Lisa getting involved in the investigation and risking her safety to prove to Jeff that she's capable of more than he's giving her credit for. So Mm -hmm. the key word in that being prove or how I view it as she is simply behaving the way she normally would. And she is capable of adventure and her actions are just showing that to Jeff. And I think that makes her a stronger character. Mm -hmm. However, playing devil's advocate you do see her switch books at the end. (laughs) So this might signify that she's like putting on a show for him. But in my eyes, she just now comes off as a woman who can read and enjoy both. Maybe. I don't know. I just,
0: (laughs) yeah, I'm not sure I really like the idea of her indulging in her interests behind his back. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that, but, um, I think
1: that there is definitely something to be said for her sort of switch when she notices that something is wrong, she switches into action and not only not only goes out there and and does something that you would not expect her to do, you know, climb up the the fire escape and all do that stuff. But what I think was really cool is she used her knowledge as like a socialite, someone who does get yeah. dressed up and take, you know, a handbag and, and wears jewelry and all this stuff and makeup and and stuff, and she uses that to the, her advantage as well. She's smart
0: and ends and, up saving the day ultimately. Absolutely, like that's,
1: absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, that part is bravery. But I think what gets her out there and what gets her really on board, is she's able to say like, "No, he, she would not leave
0: without right, without." right. her wedding ring. So I think this is a really interesting discussion. I came across a video when I was researching, and this the the narrator of or creator of this video talked a lot about gender roles in this movie and she mentioned that she wasn't really sure if this was intentional or not considering the times considering this was made in the 50s i'm not sure people were as socially aware as we are now um i would love it if this was intentional but uh she mentioned that with almost every shot that involves another character jeffrey's or jeff is below the other character he's either being He's either on his bed being massaged by Stella or being like held by Lisa and she's like above him. And even when the cop comes to investigate, I mean, and like understandably so, like whether or not this was intentional is unclear because I feel like just because of the circumstances, because he's in a wheelchair or on a bed and can't really stand up um like he's either sitting or lying down the entire film so i don't i'm not sure if that was intentional or not it's just an interesting point that is i think that's interesting because you
1: can you can definitely make the cinematic argument that he is supposed to be helpless yeah i mean yeah. you know what I mean? because he really has to get someone to do everything for him he can do nothing for him and then He's able – at the very end, you're able to be like, oh my god, he's he's stuck and Thorwald's right there and he can't yeah, do yeah. anything.
0: Right, you right. Know? So exactly. it's like – it adds to the suspense of it all. Right. And he kind of sees himself as this risk taker. He is, for lack of a better phrase, a man's man. I hate that. But um, like <laughs> yeah. someone – you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's someone who is – brave enough to stand in front of a race car. And ultimately it was a stupid decision. Like (laughs) stupid enough to stand in front of a race car. And now I don't remember, did he, he got the shot, right? Like they showed the picture that he got. Yeah. It's
1: at the, it's at the beginning, it goes through a bunch of his pictures. I, I would assume that that's the
0: shot. Yeah. Right. Right. So, I mean, you could argue that maybe it wasn't a stupid decision because he ultimately got the shot, but I mean, it left him with consequences. Like he made a choice and yeah, and clearly that he paid for it and he can't care for himself hundred percent anymore. He argues with Lisa that his occupation isn't really something that someone like Lisa could handle or even want to handle. And then fast forward to the end of the movie, she's climbing on balconies and jumping between buildings and out of windows. And she completely shatters that illusion. She completely proves him wrong. She's a badass. And I, yeah. Yeah. And I love that like dismantling of, of like the stereotypical, like, 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 <laughs> Now the man is the damsel in distress like yeah. he can't he can't do anything he's he's completely stuck um with his own circumstances and I love that that the point that you brought up about Lisa and her intuition and how femininity and that women's intuition ultimately saves the day it's not it's not like to be with him, she has to become this man.
1: She just has to be herself, and it's exactly a, it, that. That women are capable of everything that men are capable of.
0: Yeah, yeah, or even more so. Like, yeah, like,
1: like
0: yeah, absolutely, oh, I love it. And I, I, I don't know. Like, do you think that that was intentional? Do you think that this was a message that Hitchcock was trying to send? Or this
1: is not the first time that Hitchcock has done things like this i mean that's awesome you know obviously can't talk to him but i would be shocked if it wasn't somewhat i think nowadays i've seen a lot of older movies that have grown more important Mm -hmm. because of the situations that are happening now because they've honestly grown more timely now yeah people don't even mean to put subtext in and because Times have changed so much and then some things have stayed the same so much, you know? It's like yeah. it, you you look at it and it's like, wow, a 65-year-old movie is like a beautiful tape on not only feminism but it's like that women to be strong and powerful and to get things done – Don't have to try to mimic what a man does completely. Yeah, I love that. Oh my God, I love that so much. Okay, so now I want to talk about Grace Kelly. Because this film is ultimately about her, honestly. I mean, she's like the most important character, in my opinion. And it's about what she's like truly capable of. She's really great in this role. I'm glad we got to see some amazing performances out of her in her career before she retired to go be a fucking princess. And (laughs) do you know that she was our age when she did that, by the way,
0: she she retired from from
1: acting. No, she retired from acting. She was younger than us when she was in this role, but never would have she retired from acting when she was 26 years old. Damn. 26 to go be the princess of Monaco.
0: Jeez. (laughs) If only.
1: Yeah. Anyway, by the time this movie came out in 1954, the studio system era was just about gone.
0: What does that mean?
1: Okay. (laughs) Studio system. The idea was that back in the day, a studio would essentially own actors. They would go in. They would – you would find them either like at a party or some sort of function or – anywhere really somebody would be like oh you have a good look they would take you in they would honestly this is what happened they would uh a lot of times they would change your name they would change your look they would sculpt uh a persona exactly they would sculpt a persona around what they wanted um a lot of times that meant changing where you were from things like that and what they would do is that they would they would cast you a lot but essentially the studio owned you you know, you were theirs and you were actively in their movies and it would you would you would be in a lot of movies. I don't know if you've just seen movies about old Hollywood where it's like you you're on this movie and then oh it's my next picture. It's because I'm shooting it in like a few days because they were just like you're gonna be in this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. Like they were really making a ton of movies back then because they Actors are freelancers now, essentially, right? So right, actors right. go wherever they want to. But back then, it was like a situation where you were you're a, a studio. You're exactly.
0: a representation of this studio. Exactly. So That doesn't seem ethical. That's
1: like... Well, it was 65 years ago. I mean, nowadays, yeah. you wouldn't think it was ethical. But back then, I mean, I, you know... <laughs> people got away with a lot of shit back then. People yeah, get okay. away with a lot of shit now. And they still, yeah. 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 So, that was pretty much over in 1954, though. Okay. But she was still just churning movies out at this stage of her career. She had five movies come out in 1954. my God. Including Dial M for Murder, which is also from Hitchcock. Uh Uh-huh. And The Country Girl, which is the movie she won her Oscar for. It was two years later that she ultimately – that she did retire. But she's someone who's – filmography I would love to show you more of like I think
0: she is so amazing see that's the thing again uncultured I feel like I hear her name all the time this is the first movie that I've seen her in I honest I couldn't name you another one that you haven't already mentioned I got you I got you well but I want to I
1: want you to too if it makes you feel any better before uh that I try to be like Grace Kelly song from Mika yeah uh, I had never seen anything of her as well but I that's what got me <laughs> sort of like okay I need to know who Grace Kelly is and she's amazing. But in my opinion from what I've seen she is at her absolute best in this movie especially really? for what she's done with Hitchcock cuz like I am honestly not a huge fan of her in Dial M for Murder. It feels very like disingenuous to me her I in her role seen it. I, I understand. I trust her, yeah. though. <laughs> uh, but I, I love her. She's in a movie called To Catch a Thief, and that was her last one with Hitchcock. And but in my opinion, like Lisa feels obviously more realistic and grounded, which I really like because it's just uh Catch a Thief is a movie about a jewel thief, and it's very like driving down the road on a highway and all that <laughs> type of stuff. But this just feels so like grounded and down to earth. And it's, it can be a movie that is highly unrealistic. The fact that all of these stories are playing out in front of us all at the same time, all with these story beats, not overlapping each other in a way that makes them unimportant. They all happen at the appropriate time. Yeah. Conveniently. Exactly. But, and they're all happening, you know, right in view of the window. Everyone's being loud enough to be heard and, and, Uh, expressive enough to be seen but what i love about this story is that it it is such a it's such a small sort of point of reference yeah that you're able to look into these people's lives but what your point about it being a mirror it's like how does this affect we only see these people in respects to how it affects the four people that are in the apartment that we stay in. You know what I mean? Right. 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 Jeff right, right. and Lisa and Stella. Is it Roy? Oh,
0: the cop, I don't remember.
1: Yeah, we're gonna call him Roy. If his name is not Roy, I don't I don't really care. <laughs> if someone wants to correct me for that or what, I'll slash your tires. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I just really love this movie and I really do love her. I think she's fantastic and I will definitely show you some more of her movies.
0: I can't wait. I thought she was fabulous in this movie. So, yeah, I have a few more points, kind of piggybacking off of what you said. I saw several times in my research about how, like, yes, there are sort of mirrors reflecting back at him, but also it's sort of like like a, a theatrical setting. And I think, yeah. and that's even brought up uh, in the beginning, I think his shades or the, uh, something. <laughs> oh, my God, the
1: curtains the, race. Yeah, that's such yeah. a good point.
0: And yeah, then, like, yeah, yeah.
1: each little window is like a little proscenium that you can just glance
0: into that's really cool yeah and right like that's that's so obvious why did you think of that that's great (laughs) um I know I'm so smart (laughs) the internet is smart but anyway uh I think basically his window is is like a it's a screen and you can see all these different stories that are happening um which I thought was cool one of the things it's interesting that you kind of brought up more character analysis and stuff I actually have more uh film technique stuff that I wanted to bring up oh well good which is a it change of pace. We swapped roles. Yeah. Um, so, I correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think that the camera moves from outside of the apartment until he falls out of the window. Like, I think until then, it's always in the apartment looking out. So, the first three shots of the movie
1: seem to be almost outside of the apartment moving along. Like, the cameras are almost moving, and it might... Th- just be a zoom but the, those are the only first three shots that have music they are designed to feel different
0: different than the other one so if it does it after those three shots never again never right so and i think even that point which is sort of giving us setting and i feel like it still could be because i mean you still get close-up shots of the other apartments they're just through like a, a binocular filter or something exactly from his point of view um and I think what Hitchcock did such a great job of is making like essentially we were Jeff like he, the audience uh, through doing that like we we became Jeff and he created this great sense of like claustrophobia and being stuck in in this in this room and only seeing things from from one particular perspective mm-hmm. And going back to the whole dated aspect of this, I'm not entirely sure if this was intentional or not, but I would say through like the first four fifths of this film, I was very like impatient because truth be told, I was a little bored. Uh, Not that I disliked it, but I was kind of like, okay, I'm really waiting for something to happen here. But I mean, it kind of fit because like I could not imagine being stuck in one room for what was it seven weeks that he had to do yeah. that? I felt like Jeff because I was I was stuck here and I was kind of like waiting for something to entertain me and all I had with were these windows and these glimpses into other people's lives. And um it it sent it made that sense of claustrophobia in the viewers' eyes, I think. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think it's so interesting that Because I'm thinking like claustrophobia.
1: When I think claustrophobia, I think completely like boxed in and like window is the last thing I think of when I think of claustrophobia. But the idea of like seeing all this stuff and knowing you can't move, knowing you can't leave, you are stuck regardless Mm -hmm. of whether or not you can see into other places. You're right. Like it's all to sort of render him useless Yeah. other than his – other than his like mind and you know, him talking, and then the very last thing we get is an exchange between like the killer comes to his house and you're like, Yeah, holy shit,
0: you know? Yep. And all that is broke like I'll go into more of this later, but like all that is broken when he falls out the window. That's the that's the like first time that we get that fresh perspective. Um, and I think this sense also hits heaviest when Jeff is watching Lisa get like attacked and he just he's like what do I do? Like yeah. I cannot do. I'm just watching, exactly. <laughs> so that I thought was was very yes. really cool. So amazing. Another thing that I noticed about this movie, it had very little, if not none at all, like an official score. So um, yeah, but, there's there's music that plays at the very beginning, right? Um, but like that's, over and the th- credits. Th- and at the end i believe at the credits but any other sound is diegetic diegetic yeah yeah diegetic versus non-diegetic sound for those who don't know diegetic is um so it's like if a, if a
1: character in a movie was listening to a radio that music would be diegetic it's it's music that the or that the audience hears but also the characters within the film hear
0: Right 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 and that that involves like sound effects. And, exactly. You know, right. And non-diegetic exactly. is something it's that I it's when I score. looked it up I heard, it's the soundtrack, yeah, yeah. mood music is what I yeah. is what I saw. Um and there was no non-diegetic sound. Any music that was played came from the apartments across the courtyard mm-hmm. and I thought that was very interesting especially at the end when Thorwald was actually in his apartment. There was no Music to set any kind of tone and I wanted to look up why that was because it seemed very disjointed It seemed kind of almost like wrong And I saw a reddit thread that kind of dug through this a bit this user that uh, that posted this sort of theorized that first Throughout the entire movie. We feel safe from Thorwald. He's seen from a distance, but he can't see us and the only time and the first time that this safety was broken is when he looks into the camera and realizes that someone is watching him. Yeah. Like, that's sort of when our safety is like if we feel compromised it's sort of like oh shit. Like this is this is the oh shit moment. And then Thorwald opens the door to the apartment and th- there's still a slight sense of safety i think between their conversation Thorwald is very briefly like at ease and maybe confused and this is sort of going back to my anticipation of there being a twist or or some kind of misunderstanding but thorwald's standing there and he maybe feels sort of helpless like he doesn't know what to do he's trying to figure out if he can get away with this yeah he's not like a
1: mustache twirler
0: like it's not
1: clear even then that they've pegged him as the killer like for some reason it's like
0: oh i I was expecting to like oh is he gonna be like you got me all wrong like this is not you know Exactly. Exactly. So there's still that sense of like, okay, maybe maybe the real monster in here is Jeff. Maybe all of, he's framing this innocent man for something he didn't do. So yeah, it's sort of unclear whether like what what the intentions of this scene are. So there's still like like there's mystery involved, but I don't think there's a lot of tension just yet. Well, there is tension, but not anyway. I, it almost feels like it would it would be weird if suddenly
1: there was this like suspenseful music in a movie that is sort of dedicated itself toward making you feel as trapped as Jeff does trapped in this room where it's like, you feel hot. You can see the sweat dripping off of him pretty much the whole time. You know, all the windows are open. uh, You can hear everything. And suddenly if it's like, Oh no, now we're actually in a movie. Now we're, we're hearing this, this mute music. I don't, I don't know that that necessarily works. I understand it sort of closing and opening the film, just to, to have like a cinematic bookends, yeah. But yeah. but during that
0: part, you always talk about how important it is, like like the, the lack of music is exactly. just like, yeah. I get that, I get that, but I think like it just seemed strange to me. It didn't. If something felt off, and I'm not sure that music was the solution. I think maybe the way it was shot, and this is this is sort of as I was thinking this, this guy kind of explains it. I think it was the way that it was shot that kind of made it strange and awkward a bit, but it kind of, it made sense back then. I think maybe it's just cause I'm used to, I don't want to say modern cinema, but no, it was just a different, it is. That is
1: one of those things where it is completely, uh, I think a modern thing versus yeah. 65 years ago, because in that, that, that whole ending, I mean, I, again, with the people sprinting up, uh, looking like they're sped up,
0: Yeah, You know, and then
1: it just, it, it feels like things that maybe you could get away with back then. But nowadays, Mm -hmm. like, you know, if, if someone's taking a step and he, he flashes and he's like, ah, and then he takes another step. Ah, like nowadays, if you, if that person didn't charge, modern audiences would be like, why the fuck didn't that guy just run at him, put his hand over his face and run.
0: And right, like a right. Fla- a camera flash. Like you'd think after like the third time he would learn that. Like okay, I have to. <laughs> yeah, let me knock this thing out of this guy's hand. Like let me. Right. Exactly, right. but like you know, it,
1: it, it back then, and I, I don't want to like make excuses for you know these people were. Well, th- let me
0: let me finish my point. Maybe things will maybe things will be clear because like I think th- this guy did a really good job of explaining. I guess uh, or diving into. Hitchcock's mind when he was shooting this. So there's still, there's some tension when Thorwald's in the room and is, is, you know, on his way to Jeff. And I think the, the real turning point is when Thorwald and Jeff are in the same shot. It's when he finally does attack him and, and is trying to throw him out the window. And it's only then when Hitchcock resorts to this rapid cutting when there's no tension left, uh, like there's no more space between the two of them. Like he is on top of Jeff. And then he creates this panic by filming outside of the apartment on an angle that we've never seen before and like cutting back and forth to people leaving their apartment and and Thorwald attacking Jeff. And I think that was, it was interesting. It was certainly a scene that I've never seen before, a sort of a technique that I've never seen before. And maybe it wasn't as successful to me, but I I can admire the, the, um, I don't know what you were the craftsmanship there, I guess. I don't know. I thought that was interesting.
1: Yeah. I think there's something to be said about how subtlety has made its way into filmmaking since then, basically like, like even in silent films and things like that, it was all about being super expressive. And now you want to be able to convey that with like the simplest look, you know, like when miss lonely heart is gets upset and she just goes, oh, you guys can't see this, but like, She just like throws her hands up in the air and falls. You know what I mean? Nobody does that. Like it's about. It was. I think back then it there was a, it was an aspect of having to be expressive and to show the emotion that way. That was just like the typical thing to do. Nowadays Mm -hmm. you wouldn't do that, but it's kind of hard to think of how somebody would show that kind of emotion, being you know across a courtyard through a window. You know what I mean? Like the subtlety, being able to convey that but then also still being able to be as subtle as we need people to be in modern day movies Mm -hmm. you know i wonder how how that would all play out because as we know like in disturbia which i mean granted is like over 10 years old now but i don't really think he's really watching too many other people if he does you know maybe watch one or two but it's it's really not not about that it's not about these other people you know what i mean it's about this one Mm -hmm. guy that seems like he's just acting weird and he can watch him through his window but right it's not like he's you know he has one point of view you Mm -hmm. know because shia LaBeouf's character in um disturbia has an ankle bracelet on he is under house arrest versus like he only has sort of one window to look through
0: right right yeah i think the only two people he was looking at was his like hot neighbor oh shit yeah neighbor and then
1: oh my god yeah okay so you're right you're right and she kind of winds up being that movie is very very loosely based on this film it's not necessarily like (laughs) but it's still like the idea of it is such a cool concept of like looking over i live across the street from a serial killer and that is like the scariest thing because it's like you would almost have to like catch them in the act because it's someone that you need to be cordial with. You can't just outright accuse somebody. Cause like, if it is, if you do, then you, you're the weirdo, you know, you're the yeah. one who's spying <laughs> on someone. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I see not kind of how I really want to watch that movie. Yeah, me too. I, we definitely should. So to kind of wrap this up, uh, I have one last point. I noticed that there was a big theme here of, risk and reward. And I think it's foreshadowed with his leg. I think his, he took the risk by taking the shot that ultimately got him in the accident and broke his leg. Yeah. And I think that whole like small anecdote is sort of projected into the entire rest of the movie. His voyeurism is a risk just like his accident was. He's, he's risking people Watching him watching them. yeah. But it paid off just like the accident did because he got the shot and ultimately, like, they got the guy. Yeah.
1: That's a really good point. It's like repeated themes. Right, right. That was, like, one of the biggest lessons we were taught in film school
0: is that uh, good stories have repeating themes. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you one more. It's It was a risk to, uh, you know, finally get engaged and married to this woman that he didn't really think he was going to have a future with or even was willing to try to have a future with. Yeah but the risk paid off because you know they you know we see in the end that they lived quote unquote happily ever after like yes he has two broken legs but at least he's with his lover and they can kind of yeah. live happily ever after after this and i don't know i i thought this movie was so so charming um maybe it, it definitely takes some patience to get to you know the the climax but I think ultimately it, it paid off. It was worth it. So it's a story that
1: deserves and receives its happy ending. Absolutely. You guys should watch for a window. If again, we've, I really hope you have,
0: if you've listened to this whole thing, <laughs> but, um, if you haven't, and you've made it this far, like you should still go see it. Yeah. If you haven't, and you've made it this far, I am pretty sure that it's Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Dave. I'm- no one's gonna know who that. Yeah, I don't. Shout okay. out to Dave, one of our more dedicated listeners. We we really appreciate. We love you, Uncle Dave. <laughs> okay,
1: yeah. So let's play a game. So it's been a while since we've played a game. I think we skipped a couple episodes there, but oh, uh, I guess we did. Yeah, not the greatest at this, but <laughs> we are good at this game, and we're gonna play the top five game. Yes, I love games. Me hey, too. We uh, and we're inviting. You all to
0: give us your top five favorite of what is this genre? So, in honor of Alfred Hitchcock, we are doing our top five favorite thriller movies. Yes. Yes, I'm very excited. We should do rock, paper, scissors to see who goes first.
1: Okay. Rock,
0: paper, scissors, shoot. What is that? It's a fireball.
1: Just go and, first. It melts your scissors. You nerd. So my fifth favorite thriller movie is Get Out. That's a good one. I know. I'm. That's a really good movie. It's a. It's. It's a perfect blend of horror and thriller and social satire and obviously, I know that we're both very uh, enamored with the director and writer of that film.
0: Yes.
1: Yes. He's a. He's very talented. Jordan Peele did Mm -hmm. something that I think blends together a movie that actually does some good and means something. And a movie that to this day really, really, really makes me like genuinely frightened.
0: Yeah, (laughs) it's certainly a good one for sure. I do want to say that like this was challenging because I had to find even five movies that I've seen that are considered thriller. (laughs) (laughs) I promise you guys like he has seen more movies than he's letting on. No, it's no, I, it's, I think so. That's, it was tough because a lot of these are like dual genres, but I tried to pick movies that were, that I thought were thriller first or like thriller suspense first. So Um, often nowadays, like there's everything is is multiple things, which like good. I think it's
1: the only reason that we're adhering specifically to thriller
0: now is so that we can do other genres later. Yeah, because my horror list is a completely separate list from this. But um, yeah, these are ones that I thought were were thrillers first. Um, My number five is Happy Death Day. (laughs) I loved Happy Death Day. I thought it was so cute and charming. And awesome. Yeah. And thrilling and suspenseful. And yeah, it was, it had horror elements, but overall I think it was more thrilling and suspenseful. I think I see that movie
1: like, like first and foremost as something in the, something in like the vein of like a scream or something. Like something that can be a movie that is scary. And, you know, there's a guy lurking behind the corner and getting ready to kill the main character, but it's, like, also making me laugh out loud. Like, I laughed my ass off. Yeah. Just because I think I just didn't expect it. I didn't see it coming, you know? And I can't (laughs) wait.
0: The the sequel comes out in, like, two weeks. I'm very excited about the sequel as well. I don't want to watch any trailers or anything about it. I love that movie. So what's your number four? My number four is Thoroughbreds, which is a dark...
1: (sighs) Comedy thriller, like they're so you know, yeah. it's very hard to pinpoint exactly what it is. But I love Thoroughbreds, it's got a lot of things that I really love, particularly the two uh I wouldn't, I guess they're protagonists, they're both not great people. But uh, <laughs> the, the two leads of the film, Anya Taylor Joy and Olivia Cook, are so so talented and they just acting each other's faces off in yeah. this film and it's it's just like one of those movies that again like i wasn't really expecting much but it's just really interesting and i love that kind of dark comedy uh, like subtle performances mm-hmm. you know it's like an a24 type movie without actually being made by a24
0: like i just it is- it's very indie. It's yeah. very indie. But if there was one like lesser known movie that I would recommend anyone watch, it's this one. Like, yeah. This, go see this movie. It is hysterical and dark and amazing. Go see this movie because we'd love to do an episode on it. We'd love for someone <gasps> yes. to watch or just someone to listen to it. <laughs> yeah, I would do that movie in a heartbeat. Yeah, it'd be amazing. It's fantastic. What's your number four? My number four, that was a really good one. And that if I hadn't already made my list, that one should have been on it because I really love that one. I would say my number four is Split. Yes, yeah, Split is so good. It is so good. Split is so, so good. Uh, it's Younger Sibling, uh, not so much. So you should watch Split and
1: you'll... It's special for a lot of reasons. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, it's really yeah. great. It's a really great movie. And... Um... James McVoy, I think, deserves oh, all sorry. the Oscars for his patrol. He deserves 23
0: different Oscars in my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and uh, speaking of, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy is in this as well, and she yeah. knocks it out of the ballpark too. So, yeah, I, it's great. One of my favorites. So. For sure. What's your number three?
1: Am I on three already? We're on three. Okay. Silence of the Lambs.
0: No way. Is that on yours too? guess what my number three is <laughs>
1: silence of the lamps it is yeah that's so perfect okay well good we can talk about it
0: talk um, about suspense that movie
1: that movie is a true thriller and it, yeah it's it's not only got some of the best performances in a thriller or a genre piece it's got some of the best performances ever put to film it won yeah. oscars for both of its leads and
0: its script directing and the movie. No way. Yeah. How many, I wonder how many movies can actually say that they've done that. Like I, less than five. Really? Uh-huh. Yeah. Go see this one too. It was really great. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think you can go see it in theaters, but well, no. Know. Yeah. Go to your computer and rent it or something. Yeah. Um, or rent it's, a DVD. It's so
1: good because I like the fact that it, it balances like it would take who would somebody who would normally be the antagonist in a film, and honestly makes him an ally, makes him of a lot of use. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, uh, Hannibal doesn't really become the villain until uh, you know the sequel, Hannibal. Yeah, he's not. You know, he's he's of of great use to Clary Starling, and that uh, that's Jodie Foster's best role in my opinion. I think God, that yes. that's absolutely great movie I, I i'd imagine that this is probably the one that the most of us or the most
0: of our listeners have seen that's it's a classic i would do that for the podcast too i think that would be great it'd be a great episode yeah for sure um your number two.
1: Oh, okay yeah i guess we went back to me because
0: we did three. <laughs> uh arrival
1: which is oh, a whole, like
0: <laughs> sci-fi. A sci-fi thriller but yeah um, it's Another good one you should go see. <laughs>
1: yeah, it it was in my top five, like a, a year ago at yeah. this time. I mean, it
0: of like of all time,
1: you mean yeah, top five favorites? It's, yeah. it's just about. Perfect. Fi- it's just about a perfect film. It's mm. really thrilling and suspenseful, just because of the fact that there's an alien invasion going on. But it's it's there's the more important thing, and the the thing that stands out more is obviously the the relationships between the characters. But just the emotional drama that is going on, and yeah. it's in my opinion Dil- Denis Villeneuve's best movie. It's Amy Adams' best performance. <laughs> like I just I I can't see. Can you say that about Jeremy Renner? Yeah, shit. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just every everybody is is doing so well, and it's got it's got one of those uh, mind blowers at the end. And it, yeah, yeah. It's it's just such a great movie. I remember when you
0: took me to see this, and <laughs> I like could not believe my freaking eyes. I remember I went and saw that movie several times, not because I wanted to but because I like I dragged my mom and dad there I dragged you there like I just I wanted to show everyone this yeah. movie it's a good one it is a, it's, a, good it's one. a great it's a great movie. What's great your number two? my number two this one um kept me on the edge of my seat and like really freaked out uh is Mothman prophecies <sighs> I know your history with this movie and uh, I really liked it. It freaked me out for sure. I don't, maybe you can't consider it a thriller, but I was like, I was tense the whole time. And I think that that matches my criteria at least.
1: So, I mean, I don't really, it doesn't, we would, we would spend all day, honestly, arguing whether or not it's a horror or a thriller or whatever. That's fine. But this is genuinely the scariest movie I have ever seen in my entire life and I hate that you like it. And I remember watching it with you. We were mm-hmm. in a freaking hotel room and it was the scariest <laughs> the movie it takes place in a freaking hotel room and it is just I don't even like to think about it. I don't even let's move on. Like I don't I don't I don't like it. It's not it's that per, it's the thing's voice and the Mothman is like supposedly like a real thing, or I just oh my it's god! I based can't. on a true story. Yes. Yeah, I hate it so much. I hate <laughs> it so so much. It is the scariest shit ever. That's funny. I hate it's it.
0: not. It's it's entertaining at least to I'm see. Glad anyway, that you enjoy it. That's great. What is your all-time favorite thriller suspense movie? Do you have any guess? Yeah, I do. What is it? Is it. Is it an M. Night movie? Yes. Is it The Village? Yes. The Village is my third
1: favorite movie of all time. It is perfect in every single way, and anyone who has anything to say about it can fight me. I really don't understand. This does not This does
0: not get enough love. The twists are perfect. The acting... I have to side with him on this. Um, I think I knew... The twist when I first saw it, so it didn't have such, it didn't have as great of an impact on me. But I can still vouch that this was a good movie. And if you think that it wasn't, then I highly suggest that you look at it from another perspective. We will do this movie. Yeah, for I highly suggest podcast. that you run because I'm coming for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, this I, is like Solo, where like they like, got a lot of shit for uh, on weird no, reasons. I don't fuck know, that. Why. It's not like Solo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's so much better than solo. <laughs> this movie is just I I am not even like ashamed to admit every time I see this I just weep. It's just such a, a, a perfect movie. I don't even do that with the movies that are higher on my like all-time list. That movie just it's just so good and so emotional and Bryce Dallas Howard and Joaquin Phoenix are just so good. And like every supporting actor in that entire movie just kills it. And they're all like – talk. Like I, I don't even like period pieces, but it's like set in like the 1800s or something. It's just – it's so freaking good. Shall we and have I'm a foot gonna race? And I'm going to get teary-eyed. I'm going to get emotional talking about it. What? <laughs> I said, shall we have a foot race? Yes.
0: <laughs> oh, my god. It's so good. <laughs> it is good. It is good. And I'm gonna so watch fun. it like while I go to bed. <laughs> Cry yourself to sleep. Yeah, it's on Netflix, so you guys have no excuse for not watching it. <laughs> um, so my top favorite. This is actually my favorite movie of all time. Um, it's it might be debated as a thriller horror, but again, I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. Um, Annihilation. I see that as more of a thriller, and it's oh good. That movie is a fantastic. This yeah. movie, it, it seemed like, it, it, to me, it invented the wheel. <laughs> it did something that I have legitimately never experienced before in my entire life. Yeah. Um, if you read the book, still go see the movie. It, it kind of like took the book, it took the idea of the book and then ran in a completely different direction. And normally that wouldn't be okay, but this was so successful. This is a movie that is a million times better than... Than the book, it was based off of, um, go see it. Great cast, great performances. One of the best soundtracks I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, this is one that I also want to do for the podcast at some point. It is. Yeah. I just can't say enough good things about this, this movie. It's my all time favorite movie of all, all time favorite movie of all time. (laughs)
1: really wonderful strong female cast yeah yeah. very scary but beautiful and haunting Mm -hmm. that's what that's what this movie is haunting especially especially like the score the way these characters if
0: the way some of them leave the film (laughs) is just (laughs) it's just breathtaking but yeah. also but like in both ways like jarring and but also beautiful, beautiful i totally yeah. just can't say enough exactly about this movie and alex garland who directed it is is very
1: talented and he directed ex machina which is also a good movie but i think annihilation is 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 a better one i'll probably I, i'd imagine people would disagree but i think annihilation is is the best movie he's ever done it's it's fantastic he's very Great. talented Agreed. Agreed. That was fun. Yeah, we got to the end. Please, everyone, share your favorite thrillers with us. We'd love to discuss them with you. Uh, at the bottom, below, or <laughs> at the top. I don't know. It's like it's it's like such like I guess there it's are- YouTube culture. It's like no, leave your comment down below. I don't yeah. know where people even leave comments on our website. I guess uh,
0: well- it's below the. We will. We'll definitely. I mean, we are on pretty much all social media sites. And yeah. We'll list all that kind of stuff. Um, we have an email that you could submit to. We will. We'd love to read what Send you guys have to say. And yeah, and we'll. <laughs> yeah, honestly, if you can manage it, that'd be really fucking cool. That would be. But yeah, we'd love to. You know, hear what you guys think. We'd love to discuss it on the podcast in future episodes. Um, let us know. Yes. Let us know. <laughs> I think I'm done for tonight. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for bed. This was fun. Hey there, listeners. It's that time again where we must depart and say our goodbyes. I already recorded this outro once, but Nick said that I didn't sound happy, so here we go again. This episode was produced and edited by Nicholas Crawford and Jordan Sato. If you want to stay updated with the latest news and episodes, please visit us on all major social media sites at Take3AMP. You can also visit our website and listen to all our past episodes at Take3AMP.com. That's Take, the number three, AMP, dot com. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help us get exposure and lets us know how you guys are enjoying the episodes. Until next time, happy listening.